this, but if you come in person, you're even more welcome. And particularly now, sort of some of the restrictions are moving, and it's good to be able to meet in person, isn't it? And uh, so we've been doing a series, and uh, we've been running right through this, and actually the, the item that I'm looking at today is a slightly different aspect of loving. And in fact, I think, oh, they put it up on the screen for me already. They're so good, these technicians uh, these days. They've got everything to their fingertips. And uh, I wonder how many, uh, you know that I grew up in the 60s, and of course uh, we all said, all you need is love. How many people know different songs about love? I mean, you're all a bit stony as if you settled in for the sermon and don't have to do anything any longer. You know one, Chris. They were all about love. They still are all about love, actually. Oh, there's one of... Love, love, me do. Love, love, me do, yes. Love will keep us together. Love will keep us together. Okay, look, uh, I guess that we can all remember different songs about love. And actually, we talk about love in the church, and we're going to actually uh, do that today. And we're going to be particularly looking at love as within the family, And right at the beginning, I say to you, it's much easier, I find, to love people that I don't know too well. (laughs) Do you know, the people who are in the the family are sometimes quite difficult to love because I know more about them. uh, But uh, we're going to see here that Jesus talks about us loving the family today. Now, we had uh, the rector from the Anglican Church came and spoke about loving our neighbour in the earlier session, but now we're focusing on the family. So those who are gathered here today. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of background because you'll see we're reading from uh, uh, 1 John 4, 7 to 21. And I want to say to you, this is the first of three letters. And uh, letters should be read as complete. We're only going to read a small section at the moment. It takes me back to when I was quite young... I know that's difficult to believe, but uh, I must have been about maybe 17, sort of 18. And I rather liked uh, one young lady. And uh, I sent a letter, and it was, I tell you, it was difficult for me to send a letter. I had a job writing, you know. I only went to secondary school when I in those days, and really we couldn't learn other languages because they knew it was even difficult for us to understand English. <laughs> and, uh, and my mum was very good at writing, and when I used to have to write thank you letters, in those days we wrote thank you letters, mm. and then after Christmas and your birthday. And I had a job writing a thank you letter without a spelling mistake. <laughs> But the times I wrote those letters, you know, and I suppose it must have had some impact in the longer term. But I wrote a letter to this young lady. And, you know, it was a letter that probably hinted that I liked her. It even hinted that I might love her. And uh, later, uh, Jennifer, who I married, I found that she had kept that letter all those years. She had an anorak in those days. You know, we had sort of those sort of puffy type anoraks, which you could put all your badges on, which the countries you've been to, if you're old enough, Peter, you might remember that, do you? The badges on the... Yeah, where you travelled to. Now, there she had a little zipper here, and I found that she had kept that letter in this zipper. And she pulled it out, and I could see that it was threadbare. It had been read so many times. That's what real love is about, isn't it? 
And, uh, you know, in the end, it did disintegrate because she'd read it so many times. Yet here we've got the Bible, which is God's story of his love for us, and we actually don't read it as much. You know, he's loved us far more than I love Jennifer, I'm quite sure, although I loved her a lot. But we need to read it. And therefore, this is the letter, and I would urge you then this week for you to go and read 1 John uh, and uh, read the whole of the letter, because you then can read it in context. So there you are. Letters should be read in context, and then we need to ask, why was it written? Who is it written to? Uh, just the same as Jennifer did, and it gave her hope for the future. And we did, in fact, marry, as you know, and we had uh, a wonderful life together for so many years. Uh, a little bit of background then. It's, uh, it's considered to be a letter that was written by John when he was in his 80s. So I feel quite young today <laughs> because I'm only in my 70s. And if he's doing something in his 80s, if you're, in those, if you're over 80, well, I suppose you could be forgiven if you weren't doing so much. But God's still got something for you to do, even if you're in your 70s. So we need to wake up and get going on that. And, uh, but it was written to believers, so it was written to the church. It was written to the family. That's why it's important. And uh, it was also written to correct things, because there were actually some false teachings that were coming into the church. And those false teachings were actually that Jesus wasn't God. They were saying he's a good person, and he lived a wonderful life, he was a wonderful example, but actually he isn't God. And you know, today when you look around, there's quite a lot of people who recognise that God was a good person, he did all sorts of good things, and there are quite a number of religions that accept Jesus as a person, but they don't believe he was God. And if you read the epistle of John, you'll see that John right at the very beginning says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was Jesus. And so Jesus was right at the beginning, and God so loved the world that he sent his only son for us. And that is real love, isn't it, when you're willing to give your own son. In 1 John 2, verse 22, you can see, who is, who is uh, the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Now, there are two books in the Bible that Satan doesn't want you to read. Do you know what those are? You've gone quiet. It's Genesis and Revelation, because the Satan doesn't want you to read Genesis, because that tells you how it began. And Revelation tells you how it's going to finish. And in fact, actually, Jesus, even in the Gospels, speaks more about him coming again than anything else. Yet, when I was growing up, we did speak more about Jesus coming again. And, uh, you know, we need to be ready. We look at the world today and we can see there's total chaos. And it's time for us as Christians to look up and to recognize that our salvation is, is very close. Jesus may come back at any moment. And you see that we, we set up things in this world, we thought we could solve things. We set up the United Nations, and we said, oh, there'll be no more war. But there has been war. We can't seem to control these things. And the reason is because Satan is against God, and he's trying to destroy everything. And so whatever we do, and he comes in different guises too. 
If you read in the Garden of Guess, in, in the Garden of Eden, Satan comes up to Adam and Eve and he says, Did God say this that you shouldn't eat of the tree? And Satan always does that. He hints at, you know, uh, well, is that really true? And there are lots of people today that look at the Bible and say, well, I I, I don't think God really meant that, did he? I don't think he he said that, did he? Or we actually select the bits we like from the Bible and we actually dismiss the bits that we, we don't want. But actually Satan is exactly the same today. And he is going about trying to deceive people by telling them various things. I must move on. I realise that I have a shortage of time uh, here uh, in the church, and I normally speak for a couple of hours, you know, but uh, (laughs) that woke some of you up anyway. We're actually going to read this together because it's a nice thing to do as a family. So I'm going to ask you to stand. You know, years ago when I grew up, sometimes we brought the Bible in and we all stood because we reverenced the Bible and recognised it, and we're going to read it. I think you can see it up on the screen here. So 1 John 4 and 7 to 21. Let's read together. Dear friends, friends, let let us us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This This is is how how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they they have not seen. And and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen. Let's sit down, shall we? It's a strange thing, uh, the English language. I know there are some here, and Peter in particular, is very knowledgeable about the English language. And, uh, but I have to gather things from experts 
on these things. Uh, and I've actually put up, it's an interesting thing, coffee, because I travel quite a lot of different countries, and it's amazing how many different cups of coffee you can have, isn't it? <laughs> There's so many different ones. I mean, I guess you might know some of the coffees that are about. You might have a preference uh, there. And I actually saw there are all <laughs> these different ones. And uh, it's amazing that something we like, we've created all these names for. But actually, when we look at uh, love, we actually have one word, love, that means loads of things. We even use it in tennis, don't we? And we say, love all. (laughs) It must be very difficult for people who are learning the English language to understand what we're talking about at some times. So when we say all we need is love, we have to ask the question, well, what sort of love is it? And... uh, There are some, these are the definitions in the English uh, uh, dictionary, and uh, you can see them. There's there's seven different uh, explanations for those. There's eight eight with the tennis score as well. (laughs) But uh, in the Greek language, uh, you know, and we've gone through this before, so I'm not going to spend too long on it, that they've actually got six words that mean love. And you can use that word in different places. So when we look at our Bible, we need to think, what's the word that is being used here? Because love occurs so many times. And actually people in society sometimes misunderstand us when we talk about uh, God's love. What does it mean? You know, Because what sort of love is it? I actually saw that it was quite a nice uh, uh, definition. But actually we know that the love of God for us is what we call agape. And it, we refer to it as unconditional love. Actually, you can't find the word unconditional in the Bible. But actually, God so loved us, even though we, were, we rejected him, that he got, sent his son. That's real love, isn't it, on there? And that's in Witi- Witi- Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, it's not the best of definitions, but I looked it up and I thought, well, it wasn't so bad at all, actually, there. Now, we're going to have a look very briefly in the time I've got left, because you can study this when you get home. Who are our family? Uh, And we can't choose who we love. And uh, resolving disputes and spending time together. Well, there's someone who... uh, I think that was an amen, but in maybe a different language. Uh, look, there's some wonderful Bible verses, and I guess that we know them so well, but it's useful for me to... They'll come up on the screen for you. But it's about being blood relatives, you know, that actually we are family. If we've come to know Jesus Christ as our personal saviour, then actually we're a different person. And Jesus spoke about being born again, didn't he? And that makes a big difference in our lives. Uh, But it's a difficult thing to understand being born again. But there is something transformational about it. That when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive us our sins. And that we accept him as saviour. He comes in in new life. And there's a, a seediness that is going to carry on living even after we've died. That's a good thing for us older ones as we're getting older and more crinkly and maybe we've got aches and pains and things because one day what's living in us at the moment is going to continue to live and it's actually at that point is going to be perfect. And I suspect we'll look at each other and you'll think, well, I never realised that Ian was like that because I'll be actually perfect. 
That's, I know it's unbelievable, but uh, when we look around, if you've committed your life to Christ, that one day you will be perfect. And that's a wonderful thing. In John 3.16, sometimes we have to be careful about the words and the verbs, because actually it says, keep on believing. And sometimes we think, oh, it's just believe on the Lord Jesus, and that's the end of it. There was a thought at one stage that once saved, always saved. And that's not true. And then actually Jesus spoke about it in lots of his parables. He showed with the, sowing the seeds that some come up and then they die. It's actually the ones that grow up and become fruitful that are actually the ones that are, are, are of great benefit. So we need to keep on uh, believing. Then in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. It's true the old has gone, but actually Paul talks about that actually while we're living, there's a bit of a battle between the old nature and the new nature. That's why sometimes you look at me and you see, yeah, and you're not perfect by any means. And you're quite right. Unfortunately, sometimes the old nature gets away. And Paul speaks about us actually having to subject uh, uh, subjugate the, the old nature and allow the new nature of Jesus Christ to flow into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and it transforms us and it's a wonderful thing and then in 1 Peter uh, for you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God and then in Galatians therefore we have opportunity let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So how can we love the family in our church? I said to you right at the beginning, it's not always so easy to love the people close to you. And I sometimes think of my own family, the human family that I have, and that wasn't easy to love some at times, particularly if they upset us. I remember we had an uncle uh, once who had been a bit unkind to my parents. And, you know, I was... uh, um, my brother was much more forgiving than me, and actually I, I didn't like it. I thought, well, that's not on, you know. We actually didn't see that uncle for many, many years, even though he was a Christian. And, it, and he didn't perhaps realise that what he had done had damaged us. Sometimes we need to resolve those things, and uh, we can do it. But we have the same father, and you know it makes all the difference. I actually think even with my own family, there are sometimes things that happen that disappoint us. I had a brother that actually came and told us that he was having an affair at one point, and we were so upset about that because we'd grown up with their family, we knew his wife, we knew all the children, and it was really terribly heartbreaking and upset. And I spoke to him, and I, he was a Christian, and I said, well, wh- why have you done this? You know, surely... And it was very difficult, and it, and, it, and it broke the family a little bit. But I'm glad to say that in later life, it was wonderful that I renewed that relationship with my brother, because he was my brother, and I loved him, and he loved me. The sad thing was there are always consequences sometimes for what happens, and he had married a, uh, a very lovely lady, and she told me when he died that, uh, well, you'd better organise the service, Ian, because I'm an atheist. And I thought, how sad that my brother would divorce his wife and then marry someone who was an atheist. And he called me outside just after he'd had an operation on his heart. He said, come on outside in. I want to talk to you about Christian things. And I can't do that with Andrea. 
I love Andrea, and she's still part of our family. But how sad when it is. And that's the difference. You know, we, we have the same father, and it makes all the difference. It was the same when my brother, my son, came and told me that he was having an affair. And I was broken-hearted, and my wife was about that. And some people said, well, are you going to have anything to do with him? And I said, well, I told him exactly where I stood and what he needed to do if he wanted to resolve that situation. But I still loved him. And, you know, it's a little bit like the story that Jesus told about the young man that went into a foreign country and he wanted everything now. And he said, I'm going to go and live my life as I am. And that father which speaks of God was always looking out for that son who would come back. And one day that son did come back and the father was so thrilled, he put his arms around him and kissed him, put a new coat on him and a ring on his finger. Do you know the sad thing was that some of the people in the family, the brother, was very upset about it. And that was in the family. And sometimes we in the church can get upset about things Sometimes when we see some new person come to know Jesus and they don't do the same things as we do, we're not understanding and we can be unkind to them. I heard the other day that someone had committed their life to to God and went to church and they had a leather jacket on years ago. I know you wouldn't believe this nowadays, but in my day, someone obviously told this person, you know, that doesn't look the right sort of thing for coming to church. Peter tells me that he dresses down to come to church nowadays. But in those days, but in those days, it was different. And you know that young lady has never been back to church since. How sad it is. So we have to be very careful about these things. But I must move on. God hasn't finished with this yet, and you've seen that already with me. And you'll find that I might have upset people in this church. And I'm sorry if that's the case. And I try to go and say sorry. And it take, you have to work at things if you're going to change the situation. Sometimes my, my son we used to have when he was very tiny. I'm picking on my son and my daughter, I suppose. Uh, but we would say, say sorry. And he'd say sorry (laughs) you know and we knew it wasn't really a sorry but it was just saying the word but sometimes we have to say it and really mean it okay and it's living through Jesus you know that sometimes it's not easy to love people but actually we can love people when we do it through Jesus years ago I remember being about seven or eight and I was in a church and uh, we were in this church, and there were different people came in, and there was a lady from the psychiatric hospital who came in. And she looked very dishevelled, and and there was a bit of dribble and all sorts on it. But as a young boy, I saw the richest person in the church, a lady who I think might have had a fur collar around her thing. She went and sat next to that lady, put her arm around her, and asked, oh, how are you, my dear? And I saw, as a young person, love really demonstrated. Do you know, sometimes in the church we love certain types of people, and we say, oh, that would be lovely if you came and joined our church because you could do so much for us and everything. We forget that actually it's God that does things, uh, but he actually does things through us. And you know, therefore, we should embrace everybody because everybody has something to give. And everyone has a wonderful testimony of knowing Jesus. So we need to use kind words, sharing, supporting, praying and worshipping. The other thing is I've mentioned about uh, disputes and uh, I'm going to put those up and I need to move on because my time is slipping away. I want to come on to something else 
you know, and uh, the pastor's looking at his watch. <laughs> and uh, I was away uh, in uh, Cape Town while you were here in January. And uh, I tell you, I had a wonderful time, and it was there. The only difficulty was that the family I was with, they had dogs. And therefore, they said, oh, and you know, we walk the dogs every morning on the beach. And I said, oh, yes, you know, I mean, I've still got a little bit. I think, yes, I'm going to get up. And uh, it, it was two hours difference. But uh, anyway, I did get up the first day. The second day, I missed it. But every day afterwards, I went on the beach with them. And we took these dogs down there. And you can see, here's a picture of them. And what was interesting to me is that everyone spoke to each other. And they said, oh, how are you today? And if you didn't go, they'd say, oh, oh where's so-and-so? Where's John? Where's, where's Peter? I haven't seen him. You know, and, they used, and the dogs used to talk to each other. They were very socialised. You can see here there's big dogs, small dogs, all sorts. There's yappy dogs and everything. But because they went together every day, they'd become socialised. They actually got on with each other. They didn't bark and everything, but they went round and sniffed each other and talked in doggy walk to, e to talk to each other, and they got on really well. And, you know, sometimes that's, uh, uh, that's what we need to do. And the sometimes, uh, I w when I was down there, I went to a birthday party, and uh, there were some people from the church there, um, the local church, and one lady said, oh, I really like these services on Zoom. She said, it's so good because I can be at home in my PJs and I can make a coffee. And then it's this really boring when the pastor's speaking. I can go and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that's you online here today, but uh, uh, maybe you've made a coffee for yourself and so forth. But actually, uh, being in person with people is so different. It's been hard for our children because they've been having to learn on Zoom and we forget that actually they need the interaction with other people. It makes all the difference. And if you're on Zoom today and you haven't been to church for a long time, I'd encourage you to come now because we're missing you and we haven't seen you for so long. And actually you don't realise it's not all about the preacher. It's not all about the worship leader. It's actually about being a family and being connected together. I guess we all know this one. Maybe we had this at our weddings and we, we read it there, you know. Love is indispensable. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. We've read it so many times we almost know it by heart, and then I realised that sometimes... I need to ask myself and say, is Ian patient? Is Ian kind? Is, does Ian envy? Does Ian boast? Ian is not proud? And when I go through this using my name in there, I'm really challenged by it. And I'd ask you to put your name in there. And uh, I wonder if that would challenge you in this coming week. 
I must move on. A little bit of homework for you. Love homework. Uh, we used to run this on the marriage course, and everyone really liked the homework tasks when it was the marriage course. Well, it's quite different for us as the family. But I, what I'd like you to do is, first of all, that you ask Jesus to come into your life more than before. Do you know he's longing to fill you more with his Holy Spirit? He's given us the Holy Spirit, but he'd love to pour in more. And it makes such a lot of difference because when Jesus lives through you, you love the, uh, you know, the unpleasant people and the difficult people. But all of the, we don't have people like that in our church, of course, do we? So, but, uh, you know, some people out there. But it does, it makes all the difference. And uh, we can do that. Review your relationship within the church to see how you can get to know Christian brothers and sisters that bit more. I started looking at the church list and I thought, what do I know about those people? Do I really know them? I mean, we're not a big church. And I, some of the people I thought I haven't seen for some time. Where are they? I'm missing them. And I, I want to meet them. And I can try and do something about it. And if there's conflict, let's resolve it. So look at the church membership and see what you can actually do there. And uh, you can find someone you haven't seen before. Then you can ask them uh, what you miss about them. I want to just finish uh, now. And uh, again, the pastor will be thrilled that I'm just coming to a conclusion. And I'm just going to put my other reading glasses on. And one of the good things, I, it, while I was in uh, South Africa, a friend gave me this book. And um, you'll see it uh, here. And uh, there's a lovely testimony. One of the things I love about Christians and talking with people, and I travel to quite a few countries and meet with people in different churches, I love to hear how they came to know Jesus. It thrills me, and I'm excited about it. In fact, it wasn't surprising that in the early church, not only did they open the scriptures, but they testified to each other about what God was doing in their lives, and they sang and worshipped together. Uh, those are all family things to do together. And uh, this is about a Muslim man who came to know Jesus. It took quite a long time. It's a wonderful book if you've not read it before. And it's talked about seeking Allah and finding Jesus. He's, after quite a long time, he suddenly recognized that Jesus actually is God and that Jesus died on the cross for him. And he's overwhelmed with it. And I wanted to read his words because they're so thrilling, just to finish. And they leads us nicely into communion, I think, in a few moments. He says, God was rebooting me. I think it was a lovely expression. When I was able to move, because he was laid out on the floor, I felt no sorrow, none whatsoever. It was as if my prayer of anguish and self-pity had been words uttered in a previous life. Rising from the ground and walking out of the apartment, I gazed at everything intently. The trees, the sky, even the stars, the stairs I stood upon, I beg your pardon, yet again I was seeing the potential of the world in a new light. I had been wearing coloured glasses my entire life and they had been taken off. Everything looked different. I wanted to examine it all more carefully. Then I saw something that I'd seen countless times before, a man walking down the sidewalk towards the medical school. But that was not all I saw. 
Though I had no idea who this man was, I knew he had a dramatic story, replete with personal struggles, broken relationships, and splintered self-worth. Taught by the world that he was an outcome of blind evolution, he subconsciously valued himself as exactly that, a byproduct of random chance with no purpose, no hope, no meaning, except what pleasures he could extract out of the day. Chasing these pleasures resulted in guilt and pain, which caused him to chase more pleasures, which led to more guilt and more pain. Burying it all just beneath the surface, he went about his day with no clue how to break the cycle, how to find true hope. What I saw was a man who needed to know that God could rescue him, that God had rescued, uh, had, had, had rescued me. And this man needed to know about God and his power. Did he know? Did he know that God loved him from the foundations of the earth with the power far exceeding the immensity of the cosmos? He turned all his attention to creating that man and declared, you are my child. I love you. Did he know that God made him exactly how he wanted, knowing each hair on his head and each second of his life? God knew full well that the hands he gave to this man will be used to sin against him, that the feet he gave to this man would be used to walk away from him. Yet instead of withholding these gifts, he gave him the most precious gift of all, his own son. Did he know that God entered into this world for him to suffer in his stead, received with slaps and fists by the very people he came to save? He was scourged until his skin fell off in ribbons, only to be pierced through both arms and feet, nailed naked on wood for all to ridicule. He scraped his skinless back on splintered wood with each rasping breath, his last breath finishing the task of rescuing us, of securing our eternity with him. Did he know? Of course not. We have to tell him. Amen.